Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by Freep writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Well, guys, how are you guys doing out there? It is uh, Tuesday afternoon. We are recording right now. We are less than 24 hours removed from the official end of the college football season where we saw Alabama uh, beat up Ohio State pretty good, to, to put it nicely, and... Uh, I know it's uh I don't know if it's a referendum on the Big Ten or the rest of college football in general, but uh, yeah, Alabama just continues to be the the class of college football. Yeah, holy smokes! I mean, <laughs> you watch an Ohio State team that beat MSU what fifty two to twelve or whatever that was, and uh, get taken taken out like that. And I mean, you know, it, it was a weird year because none of the teams at the top had traditionally great had great defenses so it exacerbated exacerbated great offense this wasn't a classic ohio state defense or even a classic alabama defense but it, it's a reminder of to me like i mean you think about the msu football season we just watched and then you watch Devonte smith run around people and you you go well I don't know. It might be a while before they're playing at that level. I would love. I would love. This is why I want an eighteen playoff. Though I would like to see other teams invited to the party. I think that would, over time, help recruiting, help, um, and, and you know, just if somebody gets a shot at some point. They're going to knock somebody off. It allows for some program rotation. You know, Clemson wasn't always the god of, of college football. Alabama had some down times pre statement Things don't last forever. And the four-team playoff helps solidify what is now. And I think the eight-teamer or a six-teamer, whatever it might be, would, would help, uh, you know, get some variety in there. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And I've been a proponent of the eight-game or eight-team playoff the whole time just simply because I think four is still hand-picking and you end up a lot of sour grapes from a lot of conferences. I mean, if you got a power five group of conferences and you only have four teams going in there – and a lot of times it ends up being two SEC teams. Um, that, that's not really what this was intended to do. I mean, if you're trying to find the, the best team, you know, eyeball test can only go so far. I mean, you know, no one would have saw Ohio State doing what they did to Clemson this year based just simply on an eyeball test, I don't believe. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, you know, in, in spinning that back towards Michigan State, I mean, what was how many did Alabama get? Fifty-two last night on Ohio State. Is that right? Is that my 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 numbers right on that? Because Michigan State in the last four games against Ohio State has put up thirty-nine points in four yeah. years. So I, I'm writing something for uh, Wednesday uh, about just how that. I mean, it, it, we've seen that around the country. Um, you know, we we've seen offensive numbers go up, and obviously, you know, the, the last 
two games, or that's not even counting this year's game against Ohio State. Um, you know that that's 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 from 2015 to 2018. So there's a couple of years missing in that, but um, in that 39 points. But the the fact that you know Michigan State has struggled to score points, and you know you, you're talking epic levels of offensive drought. I think you know the, the downturn in Michigan State's offense coincided with the uptick in offenses around the country, and you're not going to be able to win anymore those those 17-16 type games or 17-14 like they did in 2015. I mean, you, you've got to be able to, to put points on the board. And it's, it's you know, what, what ended up ultimately being the demise of Mark Antonio's program is now the challenge for, Mark, for uh, Mel Tucker to, to fix. And, uh, you know, it's going to be, to me, I mean, it's that, until you fix the offense, until you get to that point, um, any talk of even a Big Ten championship is, is moot. And I think, I think one of the things that will get interesting is, you know, you think about Michigan State. Michigan State's had the Devontae Smiths in their history. They had Charles Rogers. They have T.J. Duckett. They've had guys, Plaxico Perez, who were that elite, elite receiver. And and the, the top guys in the D'Antonio era at their best, the best of Tony Lippett, the best of Aaron Burbridge, were close. But also, one of the things that I, I think is going to help, and I think this is something that is sort of an alternative take on the idea of the name, image, and likeness, uh, I think that could help spread things out. You know, you go to Alabama and you're one of six dudes, and I understand there's a lot of Alabama stuff that can, but, but you know, you go to a school where you stand out, where you're the star. You know, Cedric Irvin at Michigan State doesn't have to wait his turn. He scores four touchdowns in his opener against Purdue. At uh, Alabama, he's a five or four or five-star kid who, you know, waits a couple of years like most of their backs do. And I think I think that ultimately could be an advantage for kids who want to separate themselves and be uh, be seen, and, and that could help places like MSU. You know, you recruit to, we will feature you. But ultimately, you've also got to prove to kids that you know how to feature them. I thought that hurt D'Antonio at the end. Um, you know, they, they did not have – like they did a little bit with Felton Davis his final year, but they really struggled to take their best players, their best receivers – and create matchups for them. That was just not a staff that did that that well. And, um, I, you know, I think MSU did that a little bit better this year. I think we saw that with Jalen Naylor, and we saw it at times with Jaden Reed, and we'll see the growth of those two guys. But um, I, I think that's something you have to show because when you can do that, you know, I'm going to – this this reference is going to come way too early in this podcast, the obligatory <laughs> Western Michigan uh, reference. But, I mean, Check. that is ultimately, you know – when they had, when I first got there, and they had had some great receivers who played in the NFL before that a little bit, but they had Greg Jennings, who played a long time in the NFL, but they featured him. He had 98 catches as a senior, uh, was a dominating player, and it led to other guys coming in who broke all of his records. And guys who, none of which were quite as good as him, but they certainly, they saw the opportunity. It became, and, and so Michigan State, I think their football program could really use somebody to really break out and be used well and, you know, and, and show that to recruit. No, there's absolutely truth to that. Um, and, you know, I mean, listen, you know, a guy like KJ Hamler would have been a perfect guy for that. Right. But Michigan state couldn't keep him in state. So, you know, that ultimately, when you look at that, I mean, there are kids from the state of Michigan who have in the last five years, six years, been those type of players it's just 
getting them to East Lansing that has been the problem, and that's ultimately where Mel Tucker's challenge is, is to resell those kids, you know, the, the, the guy. I mean, even like, a, uh, remember early on in Mark Antonio's tenure when he had Devin Thomas and, you know, turned him, and he blossomed as an offensive star. And But the offense oh, in the end of that D'Antonio era, um, you know, was, was troublesome. I mean, you know, that I, I went back and redid the math on the, the Ohio State thing just now while, while Graham was talking. They scored in the last six games against Ohio State, they scored 64 points. And until you can score points against Ohio State, maybe not necessarily at the, the level of, of what exactly Alabama did, because I'm not sure if you can get there in the short term, but until you can get back to that point in 2014 where you're putting up 30-plus points, you know, you're not going to compete. And, you know, it's just it's a different era, and Ohio State's recruiting from an offensive standpoint at an elite level with players that can score 40, 50 points a game and with no problem. I'll, I'll say this. So the, the Michigan State defense of 2013, and now that's a hard defense to duplicate, right? That's the greatest defense uh, in modern MSU football history. Um, but the defense of 2013 – was significantly better, in my view, than anything we saw in the playoff from Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State that didn't have great defenses this year. So I'm, I'm not saying you've got to build a great offense. A great defense in, in modern football does not, um, you know, you look at the way Michigan State beat a, a, a very good Ohio State team with Braxton Miller and Carlos Hyde and those guys and that Big Ten championship game. Yeah, they, they were great defensively, but they ultimately – it was the ability to bounce back and score again and score and, and like they did in that offense find itself. But, but it, it, it's, it, I, I do think there's a, there's a place where you don't give up 50 to Bama, where you're so physical and disruptive. Um, and, and not every, even Bama by their standards is not always going to have Devontae Smith, right? That's a, that's a, a different caliber dude. But um, so I, you know, I think it's a, there's still an opportunity to make your mark on that end, but I agree. Once you get there, you're going to have to be, you know, you're going to have to be special on the offensive side. It, it just takes so much. I mean, if you just look at the Big Ten this year, what your your best bet is to combine Northwestern's defense and a Michael Penix Indiana offense. That's the team you need. Except you need that year in and year out to compete with the uh, the uh, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson triumvirate up there. Yeah, but it's hard. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You know, you, that's you, what I'm saying. It's, it's impossible to do year in and year out. I mean, you you say that and. You know, a year ago, Northwestern put lost thirty-four to three to that Indiana team. So I mean, you know that, and it, but it can change in a hurry. I mean, you saw that with Northwestern going what three and eight uh, two years ago in twenty nineteen. I guess it's two years ago now. It's hard to believe we flipped the calendar, but uh, yeah, I mean that's ultimately, you know, the question is: Are those great defenses going to be enough anymore? I right, mean, not on their own. Right. Right. No. Right. I, I don't. I mean, it, it, the pendulum will swing again at some point. That's just the nature of college football. Uh, but I mean, maybe though. the last two the last two decades though, the the, the average mean score. I, I would kind of look at doing some research on this. The average mean score continues to go upward, um, and that's in part because it, to to borrow from a from a, another sport in a in a ad commercial, chicks dig the long ball, and. You know, you, I mean, that's what sells. The, the scoring points keeps people watching games. No one wants to watch a 6-3 game, even if there's beauty in that. 
Like, you, you, you can't um, – and you can't hit people like you could. And I remember even during the MSU right. run, you know, the, the rules of targeting changed and all that. And I remember watching an early August practice when, when Narduzzi was still there where they were teaching kids to take out knees. And that had changed. It was get lower, get lower, get lower. You can't hit people in the head. You can't hit people up here. You can't spear this. Um, and uh, which is, you know, obviously if you pull football players, they'd rather have the concussion than the uh, the knee injury any day of the week. But um, but still, it, it you know, the rules have changed around offense. The offense have gotten more sophisticated. I mean, people, I mean, I, I would, I mean, I, you give me most, 1980s football coaches and I'll give you 10 football coaches in every community in the high school who could offensively coach circles around them. The, the world changes. The offenses evolve, right? It's just a more, it's a different sport than it used to be. And, uh, um, so I think that's, that's, that's a big, that's a big part of it. And for it, it really start, you got to have a quarterback. What did all these teams have? They have a quarterback and what do they all, they have, they have playmakers on the outside. You, you bring up Indiana and, and they had two, uh, and Fry Fogel and Watt Fillier, you know, two really elite receivers with an elite quarterback most of the year. And they couldn't run the football either, and that's ultimately was the difference, I think, against Ohio State because I think they were as good as Ohio State defensively, um, but they couldn't, you know, at the line of scrimmage up front offensively, they weren't as good. And, and um, I, so I, that, for MSU, they've got a hit on one of these quarterbacks. It can, maybe it's Peyton Thorne. Um, maybe it's Hampton Fay. Maybe it's somebody else but at some point you've got to have a guy who can um is, is special back there if you're going to be special and then you, you know because i i actually think their offensive playmakers at receiver have a chance to uh be pretty dang good collectively uh and individually to some degree um as, as they move on yeah i mean i mean those guys are out there i mean even mac jones was only a three-star you know, recruit, and I, I don't know what Zach Wilson or the Coastal Line, Coastal Carolina QB were ranking wins, but I can't imagine they were up there since they, they're not at a major program. I mean, those guys are out there. You just got to, you know, your, your recruiting staff, and when you're breaking that film, you've just got to be able to find those guys. I know that's, that's very you know, simple you know, it, the way I phrase that, but, I mean, I they're out there. But, but, what, but what keeps them talented and what keeps them productive at the college level is elite-level offensive linemen keeping them upright. And I'll tell you what, the other thing that I don't think people realize how much Devontae Smith benefited this year from in watching Alabama as little as I did, but, but their outside receivers are blocking machines. And that's a, that's a Nick Saban specialty. And that was, you know, something that Mark D'Antonio focused on significantly early in his tenure. But if you can't block the edge with your receivers, um, you're not going to be able to spring a guy like that. Uh, no matter how talented he is. I mean, it's yes, he can make plays himself, but you watch those edge-blocking receivers that that uh, that Alabama had in that game against Ohio State, um, they freed him. They freed him a lot for yards after catch. And, you know, that, it's easy as a quarterback if you've you got the time and you're just throwing the ball down the line of scrimmage to let a guy do that if you've got guys blocking for you in front of you and outside. Well, let's uh, let's uh, shift course here to basketball. Unless you guys have anything else you want to share, there, MSU's a long way away. I think that's where, <laughs> where we're at. <laughs> that's okay. Spring practice starts soon, right? Hope, <laughs> hope everybody just skipped the first fifteen minutes of the podcast and just <laughs> the thing Graham just said. That's all. That's all I need to know. But uh, 
So, so we're kind of like in a, a little bit of a spot here for Michigan State basketball in terms of we are four days removed from the loss of Purdue, and we got a couple, two days to be exact, until the Iowa game. So we kind of thought this would be a good time to kind of do a State of the Union or State of the State or State of the Michigan State basketball program type conversation. I think, you know, before the Purdue game on Friday, I think spirits are pretty high. It looked like the Spartans maybe have found what they were going for after beating Rutgers and then after the first half and then the first couple minutes of the second half against Purdue where they were up 33 to 16 I think was the high water mark and then all of a sudden everything kind of fell apart quickly you only score two field goals in the last 15 42 of the game and all of a sudden you can't stop Trevion Williams down in the paint now we're asking all of the questions we we're asking before if not more so Chris I'll have you have you kick off this discussion I mean where how do you see this team right now where do you feel they are and are they not as far along as we thought they would be or should be considering the depth that we we thought they had and how much talent is, is on this roster yeah they went 1201 without a field goal in that second half yeah. um you know before finally getting joey hauser to hit one from outside and i think you know the difference between the beginning of the year and now to me are 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 the two guys that are supposed to be the guys in hauser and watts i mean you know, we, we can kind of shuffle around all the other problems that are there with, you know, giving up the inside and, and you know, running small lineups at Travion Williams and how are you going to do it against guys like Luca Garza and, and Trace Jackson Davis. But, but ultimately, you, it's the same thing as we just talked about with football. You've got to be able to score the ball. And those are the guys that are supposed to be scorers, and they've gone MIA. And, you know, Watts, either moving them back and – and fourth between shooting guard and point guard. Um, he looks lost. I, I don't know if it's a, a, a lack of understanding of what his role is, a lack of understanding of the offensive sets, or what it is, but um, it, it, he just looks like a different guy. He doesn't look any, anywhere near as confident as he was even last year when he was missing shots. I mean, you, people forget how big his struggles were really through the first half of the year. And then he started to kind of find a role. Um, it helps to have a Cassius Winston delivering the ball to you and being the primary scorer and really being the, the third or fourth option. But, um, you know, he, that's the big thing. They, they need him to be a scorer. And, you know, they need him to penetrate and, and get to the basket and score and, and be able not not fire up random wild shots. And I think the same with Hauser. You know, Hauser right now is, I, I think, so fixated on shooting the three that it, it's it's detrimental. And, I mean, you know, part of the reason you're seeing, you know, yeah, the turnovers are a problem, but those long rebounds are ending up in breakouts the other way as well. So, I, I, to me, though, and then, Graham, I, I, I mean, I'm curious to you. I mean, I think Aaron Henry's been what you need Aaron Henry to be, and maybe sometimes a little bit more than that, but those are the two guys that, that this team needs right now to, to right the ship. Yes, because what was so disheartening for MSU in, in a way was they had these two games where they played well enough against Nebraska, and Nebraska's Nebraska, so you never really know. Um, but, you know, they needed that win badly. And then they have a, what I thought was a very good performance. Aaron Henry was exceptional and efficient. And, um, some other guys got going against Rutgers. They didn't shoot well, but they defended well, and they were able to get out and run. And then you have this game that is sort of a, a great litmus test for some of the challenges ahead with a big man who's dominant, but maybe the overall roster isn't as talented as Illinois or Michigan or, or, or Iowa. And so that that then 
this I, I think the reason that Purdue game was so disheartening is it shouldn't have happened that way. And what you needed to find out about your guys, you didn't let find out in certain ways. Like they needed to play those those four bigs and figure out how which one of these guys or or if any of them were best served against a, a Travion Williams type. Um, they needed to figure out in the half court could they do some things because that's what they haven't had to do. I mean, r- they were able to run against Rutgers because Rutgers was missing shots. Uh, they were able to run against Nebraska because Nebraska is defensively less. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly with Chris on Rocket Watts. Like that's the dude that that potentially makes them different in some ways, um, and they need to find a way. And even if they lose games doing it, they need to ride him and let him figure it out and just let Rocket Watts. Uh, and obviously, you got to hold a guy accountable to an extent. But what I mean is, if he's struggling uh, but playing hard, let him struggle out of it. I, and the one, I will disagree a little on Hauser. I think they got to get him off the low block. That's not working with the bigger guys. Um, and 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 I think his the three point shot and and using him on pick and pops can be um, a, a, you know a more efficient way in most matchups. That, What's going to be fascinating, though, though, is it's pretty clear they don't have a big guy who can hold up. And so you're going to have to throw all four big guys and, and, and allow certain matchups and how guys are playing to dictate. Um, you know, and, and I think Izzo lost faith in those guys early in the second half, and I think he wrongfully uh, you know, went completely away from them because they had hung in there a little bit in the first half, and that, that I, I think that, that wound up biting him. But uh, it was a real telling sign that if, if – you're playing Travion Williams in a Purdue team that's pretty average, and you're bailing on what you your bigs completely. You, you're in a whole world of hurt and trouble when you go up against what's coming down with Iowa, Michigan, and Illinois. Yeah, and well, and it's interesting too because I, I think that you know you look at those first four games in the Big Ten, how much they struggled with defending the three. Um, you know that they didn't really. I mean, a guy like Pete Nance even was still scoring on them in the paint and really had his way in that first game against Northwestern. They really haven't had even a Travion Williams type to have to play. And, and you got Garza coming up. Um, but I, I think there was an interesting component to what Izzo was saying about not getting beaten by the three, because they've been beaten by the three so much. And even, even in the Nebraska game, they gave up a lot of threes and you saw them focus on that against Rutgers when Rutgers obviously was without, uh, they're one big man in that game, so that changed the dynamic a little bit. Uh, but if you're if you're worried about that with a lead late, um, then that's that's got to that's going to be an issue, right? I mean, the, you you got to in some ways pick your poison, and you know I, I you know I don't know. I mean, a, a guy like Garza could go off for forty. Do you give him forty and try and shut everybody else down? I, I you know that's 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 going to be an interesting dynamic, I think, on Thursday to kind of watch. And I, I don't know if that's maybe the right way to approach it, but, I mean, if, you, if your focus is not getting beaten by the three, you don't want Jordan Bohannon and, and Wieskamp beating you. If you, you say, you know, you know what Garza's going to do, almost the Jordan-type rules, uh, let Garza get his inside, but don't give, you know, go give up the twos versus the threes. But if you don't have, I mean, let's face it, Mar- Marcus Bingham physically – um, has not been uh, sturdy. Um, he's blocked some shots, but 
you know, he's getting pushed out of the way. I think Hauser's getting back down. I, you know, I, I just think that that combination of Hauser and, and Malik Hall over the last eight, ten of that game um, had moments where they looked good. But I think that you, you, that that punishment that you take in the paint, you got to have that rotation there. You can't forget that Thomas Kithier is on your bench, even if he does have four fouls. You can't forget that you got Bingham and Sissoko there to to provide some long and length, some length to disrupt shots. So. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm just really curious to see how saying, I mean, I'm curious to see if Izzo even changes his lineup to, to, to face Garza in some ways down low after that game. And how much do you sacrifice on the perimeter if you do that? Well, and the problem with this now is Garza has become nearly a 50% three point shooter. And that's, uh, I mean, he is a big challenge overall. And so, you, you know, you, you know, and, and you're right, because in the first two years, you could say, you know, Garza gets 30, but you're able to contain the rest of the team. Do you lose? Well, Garza may get 40 on you, and, and, and it may include threes, and it may stretch defenses and create other issues. Like, there's, he is, he is a, a, a problem. I was just going to say, he's leading the country in scoring now. I think it's like 27-6 yeah. a game. Um, and, and that's, I mean... You think about that. He was he was a national player of the year candidate last year. Now I'd say he's probably up there as a front runner. Yes, and and I, and I also you know I, I mean their roster offensively, Wieskamp and Bohannon and those guys. I mean they're they can score on you. Now Iowa's still Iowa, right? I mean they still defend at a mediocre level, and they want to run. And so th- those two, I, I don't hate this matchup in certain ways for Michigan State. Because um, Michigan State, if, if you're not a great defensive team and you're willing to run with them, if Michigan State can get them to miss some shots and get going, I mean, I, I think MSU can hang in this game. And, and uh, the thing about MSU is they're certainly not matchup proof. We've learned that. But against certain matchups, they can play with anybody in the country in, in terms of, you know, touted teams, I think. Um, I, and, and we'll find out if, if that includes this one. Like, I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical on what they're going to be able to do inside. And the, the thing that I thought was also disheartening against Purdue is, you know, the idea is if you're going to go small, that you're going to be able to hurt the other team with your, like, they got to guard you now, right? And that sort of thing. The, the problem against Purdue is when you go Hauser Hall small, uh, you know, Hall is a, is a, is a really effective player because he can defend a two guard he can defend a center to some degree I, I mean i like him on the court in a lot of ways but offensively um he's not consistent or great he doesn't scare you at all and so if he's you know he's not somebody that the other team has to go shoot how do we account for that they're going small and and so that that you know for michigan state to be really effective small they would have to go like aaron henry at the four hauser at the five to me, to be effective offensively, small countering what another team was doing, and 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 that you know I don't know if that makes sense or if that's something they'll ever get to, uh, but that I don't think that happens with Malik Hall right now. Well, and I think another component of that too is you know where's Gabe Brown in all this? You know because yeah. you know if you're if you're able to get Gabe Brown in there, um, that changes your athleticism and the ability to run um, and how they can defend you, but it just seems like he's still not getting it on the defensive side, which ultimately is going to land you on the pine in, in important moments. And I think that's, you know, that's, you know, you mentioned about, you know, Hall at the four and Henry at the five. Well, who are your three guards right now then? Hogard and 
and Langford and Watts. I mean, that's, I mean, they, they've got problems at, at all five spots in some respect right now. I mean, maybe, you know, and not necessarily because of Henry, but just simply what the fit him, what the best fit for Henry with the guys around him is, you know, I mean, is he the three, is he the two, is he the four, you know, I mean, you know, that I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, do you go big with him at the, at the two? It's, you know, the, there's, there's components, you know, Langford at times looks like he's a, a, an offensive force at, and at times he vanishes. Um, same on the defensive side too. I think that he's played a little better defensively uh, the last two games, but still, you know, as uh, you know, he gets taken off the dribble and so does Watts and, you know, so does, so does lawyer. So does, so does Hogard. So, you know, it, you know you're, you're, you're kind of a, a damned if you do, damned if you don't moment here if you're a defensive-minded coach like Izzo, right? Yeah, and, and, and part of the problem, I think, for these guys is, um, you know, Izzo's staff, is, I mean, Izzo is a, a Hall of Fame defensive coach. Like, it's one of those things where you can sort of trust they'll figure it out on that end if it's possible to figure it out with yeah. this team. And, and so you can say, yeah, he screwed up against Purdue, should have had a bigger guy on the line there for that rebound. Should have had a more length uh, against um, uh, uh, Travion Williams in the final shot. Although Bingham was your only option because Kithier isn't any longer. And uh, even if he'd be in the right place, and, and Sissoko would have fouled him without question, and Marble would have fouled him, would have stuck his forearm right through his rib cage. And so um, Marble might have two fouls on the play. Yeah, right. So that you know, the, yeah. Your options are we're, we're to some degree um, limited, but it is not a staff that is offensively innovative. It never never really has been. They, you know, Nick Ward got hurt, and they got lucky he did two years ago because they sort of stumbled into this great pick and roll offense that worked with with Cassius Winston and and uh, um, and, and, and Xavier Tillman, and and so the, you know they don't have a um, the guy who used to be an assistant went on to coach at Utah, uh, um, blank right now. What's that? Jim Boylan. Yeah, they don't have a Jimmy Boylan right now, right? They don't have that guy. Like, and, and Fife is a, comes from a motion background. They don't, you know, and, and you know, I, I, I don't know that they're um, able to take to really always maximize the best of what they have offensively, um, and, and usually they get there, um, but it's not. It's you know they, they don't have you know John Beeline would be a amazing consultant for the staff right now. <laughs> That's what I would say. Yeah. Well, and it. You know, it's funny you mentioned, too, because, I mean, I, I think that as much as everybody laments loss of, of Cassius Winston, the loss of Tillman on both ends is so so glaring right now because, you know, if those guards are getting taken off the dribble like that, well, Tillman's back there as a defender positionally and as a shot blocker and alterer. Um, you know, in terms of help, I don't know if there's anybody. I mean, he's, he's one of the better help defenders that, that they've had in that program. And they, they're lacking that right now. I mean, guys are a step slow and sliding over. And then on the offensive end, because of his court vision, because of his ability to pass the ball, um, not only do you use him in that, that pick and roll, but you could use that motion offense that was working so well. And I think on the offensive end, they're just struggling to find an identity of, you know, do you, do you continue that motion offense? Do you go to those, that two-man game that they showed against Rutgers with Watts and Hauser? Um, I think that's just kind of a – a learning process right now. I mean, that's, and that two man offense was always part of their game, even with the motion. Right. But it was within the construct of that. And the ball moved so well because those two guys who were running the pick and roll was Winston and Tillman 
both could see the court. I mean, you, how many times did you see Tillman get a pass on the cut and then go cross lane with a bounce pass or something to, to an open guy as he got a double? I mean, you know, there's a lot of things like that that, that Tillman brought that those four guys that are occupying that five spot right now, and I think occupying is probably the best word, um, they don't bring that. Um, and that changes some of your dynamics. So, I don't know. It, 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 Izzo said he you know, he expected mid-January to be kind of the target to figure this team out. And I think he's still probably figuring in some ways. Um, but that makes Thursday all the more vital because, you know, what, they got Indiana on Sunday and they've got a couple more tough games down the stretch with Ohio State and, and Rutgers um, before playing Michigan in, in early February. So, you know, these, these next two weeks are, are the most critical starting with this game. I want to bring up Marcus Brigham here for, for a second. Chris, you mentioned him a little while back about, you know, he actually played pretty good in the first half against Purdue, and then I don't think he saw the court again in the final 15 minutes, and I just kind of wanted to be like, you know, that's, kind of, that's a pretty good sign that, boy, they haven't even come close to figuring out their center rotation yet, and I don't know when slash if they're going to anytime soon. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. And I, I think the, I think the what I thought at halftime was what was very clear, because the, the Big Ten is a gauntlet of centers, right, is it's going to take all four guys for different reasons, different moments. And you want to throw different, different looks. I mean, the, the Mati Sissoko is going to come in. He's going to rim protect. He's going to get in people's heads a little bit. He might foul you. He's got five fouls to give. So be it. Play him. Make him part of the rotation. You can't play him forever. You can't play him in big moments because he might foul you. Offensively, he doesn't give you much. Uh, Marble has, I mean, Marble has got to stop thinking this is football with his forearms and move his, just play with his feet because he's got great feet, and, and, and that's kind of weird. Kithier is the guy you can count on, you know, but but you're going to have matchups that are tough on him. And Bingham is the guy who hasn't developed, who's, I think, infuriating. And when you look at that junior class, and, you know, Chris wrote about this junior class heading into the season. When you look at the junior class, this is a performance year. It is Marcus Bingham, Foster Lawyer, Gabe Brown, uh, Aaron Henry. Am, am I missing? Who am I missing? Um, oh, Thomas Kithier. Kithier is playing yeah. to the level they recruited him, right? Aaron Henry is playing to the level they recruited him. Those two guys, not disappointments at all. The other three guys, though, I mean, Lawyer, I think, is playing to some degree to his ceiling. Uh, I don't know that they would recruit him if they had to do it over again. Gabe Brown is not. And Gabe Brown has been, uh, you know, I think, I, I, you know, I had high hopes for him. And, and it has not uh, gone as, as, they, as they hoped. And I still think he could be an effective player. But is he looking over his shoulder? I don't know that, that, that Langford coming back helped him. He gets lost defensively still. And Lawyer, you know, Lawyer was a prolific shooter in, in, at one point. I don't know why he's not shooting. Who's telling him not to shoot? Or if he just doesn't think he should? But that man should be greenlit inside 30 feet. And that should be something that is part of what they have. And, and, and um, I mean, he, he is a special, special shooter in his day and, and a pure shooter. And I, they, they got to, to me, they got to they gotta tap into that a little bit. Otherwise... When he's out there, he, he just is, is much less effective. Well, you can't shoot the ball if you can't hold the ball, and that's part of the problem. I mean, you know, you saw him dribble off his leg again and fall down out of bounds. I mean, you know, the the athleticism of the guards that he's facing is significantly higher than he placed at Clarkston, and I think that's, you know, I mean, is he six foot? I mean, that's the list of Matt, but you know, it, it might be a stretch. Um, and if you're not six foot, you better have elite quickness, elite ball handling skills, um, elite moves to free yourself up. 
in some ways, and I don't necessarily see that. Um, I think he's I think he's a good leader for this team, but you know the fact that you know he's been pigeonholed into a ten to fifteen minute a roll game um, first, I think tells you the 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 worry that they have about him on the defensive end, but but also that they they can't expect that much from him offensively. And I think what's interesting too, along with that, there were there was a point in that game where Izzo had both him and Rocket Watts in at the same time, and that was I mean they both committed big turnovers in a in a early run after they were up seventeen uh, for Purdue. So you know if it's going the other way with both those guys on the court together, then then how do you figure them in? I mean you know right now you know Hogard looks like the only point guard on that team, and that's trouble because he's like thirty eight minutes a game. Yeah, I mean, Hogard coming in lessens Lawyer. But when Lawyer's out there, he's got to shoot. That's what he does at a Division One level, that he shoots and, and at, a, at a Big Ten level. And so he, and he's, he passes up open looks. He does. He, and, and he gets you know he gets by somebody, and he's pretty decent at creating that, and he gets to the 15 feet, and he lets it, doesn't let it go. Um, you know, I, I, you know he, to me, if he gets a look, he's got to let it go. Um, and but you're right. You do start when, with the Hogard thing. While I totally agree with doing it at this point, um, obviously, inserts another 20 to 25 minutes a game from somebody else that gets taken out of that rotation. And right now, it's largely been Rocket Watts and Lawyer to some degree. But you're not if you're playing Rocket Watts 15 a game, you're not going to win anything big. And so right. you have to figure out that over time. He's not only got to get going, but he's going to have to be a 25 minute a game guy at least. And so that, that, you know, that'll be interesting to watch here is, is a sort of that rotation. Somebody's going to get squeezed out a little bit. Um, and it may be Gabe Brown. I, I think that's too bad because I think Gabe Brown, I thought, was going to help that ceiling. And every once in a while, he'll have these moments where he'll hit a couple threes or he'll, uh, you know, he'll come in with a dunk and he's athletic. And everybody, you know, and I think part of the problem for Gabe Brown, this was a very much a beloved team two years ago, right? Everybody loved. They just seemed like a group of nice guys who found it. They loved. They really related to this team, and 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 that was partly. And then Cassius' story last year, and then and Cassius was a guy, easy guy to like. Tillman was a guy to like, and they won with this group of freshmen that you kind. Of, I mean, and, and sophomores like people loved Gabe Brown on the sidelines. They loved his potential. Uh, that it, it's turned into frustration a little bit, and I, you know, I, I and I, I get it. I you know, Gabe Brown is not. But that said, Gabe Brown's opportunities, like I, I do wonder if Gabe Brown had, if Joshua Langford had not come back, um, you know, what Gabe Brown's season would look like. And, um, and that's not, you know, again, I'm not saying they should be playing Gabe Brown over Joshua Langford. I don't think from what we've seen with Gabe Brown, he's earned that. And, you know, I did a breakdown at one point uh, before they beat Nebraska of the eight determining moments in the season, I thought, which were three real positive runs against Notre Dame, Duke, and Wisconsin, and five negative runs that had created their losses. And it was what was the things, obviously, like any data, it's inexact and it's, it's not all determining. But what was very interesting is Langford was on the court for almost every positive run they'd had, every minute of positive run, like 90% of it. And the, for, for a guy like uh, Gabe Brown, he was only on the court for less than 30% of the time things were going well, and most of the time things were going poorly. And so that tells you something, right? Because we don't see all, we don't always know why something didn't work defensively or went wrong or whatever. But if a guy is always on the court when stuff's going wrong, there's something to that usually. 
Yeah, and you know, let's. I think one of the things that we need to talk about maybe is the last maybe 15 seconds of that Purdue game, um, because you talk about when things are starting to go wrong. I mean, Rocket Watts is becoming one of those guys. I mean, you know, I, I don't. You know, the the inbound pass under the basket. Um, first, the foul. I mean, the foul was brutal. I mean, you, you can't put yourself in a position right or wrong, whether the call or not, to where a ref can blow a whistle on that when when you got the lead. But but then the inbound pass. I mean, that's a situation. I don't know who you put the blame on. I mean, that's that's a point guard situation that you, your first and only priority is catch the ball and get fouled, right? And Watts couldn't do that. And that's you know that's you know that whether you want to call that Watts' fault or Izzo's fault for not putting Hogard back in in that situation, um, worrying about the free throw, um, you got to get the ball first before you can get to the line. And now you give Purdue the ball under their basket again. Um, you know, there, there's there's a lot of things that, in that Purdue game that you know that I thought showed the limitations uh, right now. Uh, you know, the, the the ceiling's there for guys like Gabe Brown, like you said. The ceiling's there for Rocket Watts, but. But man, they're going through some struggles right now that that are that's holding this team back. So we've still got over half the Big Ten season to go, obviously. So, where do you guys think this team is going to end up finishing? Maybe record wise, or you know, their final place in the standings in the conference, or even if you want to extrapolate that even further, the NCAA tournament. I mean, if you look at a lot of the projections, I don't think anybody's worried about them making the tournament. I, mean, I think they're they might be on the bubble, but they're on the the much better part of the bubble if, if there is such a thing that exists. Although I have seen a couple of projections that have them out of the tournament, but I think those, those aren't any of the quote unquote major ones, but uh, where, I mean, where do you guys see this team finishing? Well, I wrote a column on this this weekend because I, I, I do think it's legit, the bubble not that this is his best bubble team. And, you know, but you know, they, they were 84 in the net coming out of that game and, the thing about the Big Ten that's, that's great for MSU is that there every there's so many quality win opportunities, and there are almost no bad <laughs> loss opportunities. And so you don't you're not you know you're not going to have to be you know if Michigan State gets to eight and twelve, uh, you know overall fourteen and twelve or eight and twelve in the Big Ten fourteen and twelve overall in this year I, I think that probably gets you in depending on you know just looking at the league, but. If you look at what's directly ahead, there's a real chance they're three and seven, the way they're playing. Now they may beat somebody like Iowa, or Illinois, or whatever. Illinois, you can't trust at all. Um, but if they're three and seven after ten, they're probably going to have to go five and five in the back half to to, to be sure they're, they're they're getting in. And while I think they probably will, and I think this season is more about them than other years. I, I, I think there's you're still gonna have to beat some people. There's no there's no doubt about that. There's there's just you know you, you, that that's and who are they gonna beat and who are they better than and um, you know this is a team that you just you don't trust yet. You, you, the thing is, I think they're talented enough that they're gonna beat some people on given nights that they're gonna wind up on the right side of that bubble. I just you, you, you can't be sure because the Big Ten is so tough this year that if if you wind up losing confidence. It can be a bloodbath, you know, game after game. Yeah, you can't lose those games to teams like Purdue and Minnesota either uh, from here out. Um, those teams that are, you know, fringe top 25 or pretty decidedly out of the top 25. Um, you know, I, I, I look back, 
the they've started twice, I think, two and four in the Big Ten under Izzo, both of them during a 16-game season. And I think they were in back-to-back years um, in the early 2000s. They started two and four, uh, but they finished eight and two in each of those years to play themselves into the tournament. Um, that, I mean, that you know, that it's the 20-game schedule helps and hurts in some ways because, man, it's a gauntlet. I mean, those teams that, you know, you can't, there's no, there's no really bad Rutgers or Northwestern type team for the last five years out there. I don't think, I mean, Northwestern has had its ebbs and and dips, but um, I think that, you know, all these teams are, are flirting with the top 25 for a reason because it's a deep league. And we've talked about this for a few years now, the coaching is at, at an insane level. I mean, you know, it, it's probably the best and deepest the coaching pool has been. You know, I mean, you know, obviously the Penn State situation is one that's still up in the air uh, without Pat Chambers moving forward. But, um, you know, the rest of the, I mean, even Pat Chambers built that program to, to a point where they could have been an NCAA team last year. So, you know, I, I think about, um, you know, just what they've got to do down the stretch and, you know, Ultimately, I, I, you, you got to iron out your own problems. I mean, until you're not going to, you're going to be on the bubble until you get, if not things fixed, you have to figure workarounds for for things that are issues and, and ways to to minimize. I think that's one thing that Izzo did the last two years really well. Um, you know, around this time of the year, they figured out where their strengths and weaknesses are, and they played to them. Uh, that's why you saw the big runs in February and March uh, the last two years. This group is, I think, going to be a little bit more challenging because I don't think there's really those same kind of defined strengths right now uh, because of the, the, the defined strengths that you think are there are Rocket Watch and Joey Hauser, and until they get right, you know, it, it's going to be a crapshoot. Yeah, and you've got losses to two bubble teams really right now. You know, I, I think Purdue and Northwestern are, 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 you know, when you talk about 10, 11, whatever, getting in, Purdue and Northwestern are, are, are likely to be bubble teams. And so, you know, those are things you don't want. And they prove that Michigan State really doesn't. You know, I can see Michigan State losing in Maryland. It was already beaten Illinois and Wisconsin, but those are their only two wins. You know, those sort of things are, um, you know, interesting. Uh, I mean, the, the whole league is, is, is fascinating. What Michigan State has going when you look at other years they've been on the bubble. And when I mean being on the bubble, I don't mean they went under to really only in 2011 when they had that, you know, talented, most talented team that fell apart completely from number two in the country preseason. Have they gone into selection Sunday on the bubble? But I'm talking about being on the bubble in February at some point. And they were in 2014, 15. Uh, you know, they, they were in, in Neitzel's junior year. And, you know, there are years where the bubble is misery and there are years where the bubble is, um, fun like if if, if, if you know the, the night till junior year i think people enjoyed it was relative to expectations that year the program was established they it was about keeping the streak alive they had that win over wisconsin that was number one at the time you know the problem for this team is that's never where that's going to go people aren't you know part of the problem with beating duke early even if it's the equivalent of michigan beating minnesota in football where you just it blows up expectations and morons like me start making all sorts of proclamations that it, it, it's difficult to reset what truly is. I mean, Duke, that win 
I'm not saying it hurts this team, but Duke is not helping this team. They're not very good. They don't look like they want to play. Shashevsky doesn't want to play. And that win and how it looked and what it did for expectations in that moment is very hard to reset those and say, okay, this is going to be a different kind of year. When If you're looking at the big picture of the program, this does not look like a team that can win a national title. There are many good things that are coming out of this right now. The fact that other than uh, Joey Hauser, Rocket Wa- uh, sorry, other than Aaron Henry, I should say, other than Aaron Henry, who I think will leave for the NBA next year, Joey Hauser and Watts look like they're due to need more time. And I don't know if Hauser, to what degree Hauser is an NBA guy, but either way, two guys that I thought might be, and still could put their names in, we'll see what, you know, you never know with Watts or whatever, but and, and how the season unfolds. But all of a sudden now you talk about Max Christie coming in and the guys coming in next year and you get those guys back. You know, like the, when you start looking at big picture, there are things about the struggles this year that, that, that could actually help this if you want to look at it from a positive standpoint. Unless, of course, the, the big issue there is the, what happens to the guys that you think maybe will reclassify in, in uh, Bates and Boyake. I mean, well, Boyaki you know, looks like a guy they need right now, doesn't he? <laughs> like he looks like a guy they may yeah. be like, dude. Yeah. And, and I, mean, I don't know. That's, I mean, it's you know, there, there's to do that. You know, you would have to have some roster attrition. And but I think you, if, I think if, if you have, but if you have, my point is, if you have Watts and Hauser, who you expect to potentially go, then someone else is going to have to go. If that, if, if you expect those two big guys to come. But there's no way that, like, I think Kithier's in it for the long haul. He understands his role is a likes him. He's always going to have a role, right? Um, right. You know, and, 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 and a guy like um, Sissoko is a young player who, you know, I mean, he's shown some flashes. I don't think there's any. Um, but I think, you know, with, with Marble and Bingham, I, I would be stunned. If, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if both of them left, but I would be stunned if both of them return next year if Boyaki's coming in and if the, I mean, the idea that, you know, they're, they're just, it's, it's clear that there isn't, these guys are going to be juniors and seniors a year. Now, again, they can stay as long as they want based on um, the, the the free year with COVID and everything right now, but, or say an extra year, I should say. But I, I would be surprised if both of those guys, you know, are thinking, I want to ride it out here. I think they're going to look for an opportunity where they can play uh, if this year doesn't unfold well for them in the, in the, by the end, you know. That you'd still need two scholarships, is what I was going to say. I mean, if you want to get both those guys in. So wait a second. Do the math with me real quick, quick here. Um, so if, if if they lose, I'm, 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 I don't know, I'm blank on this. They're they're one down now. They've got one one sitting there. They're, yeah. they're they would lose they would lose um, Henry. We're, we're saying we're we're assuming Henry is going to go. They could lose Langford. So that's um, three. That, and those are three guys that are coming in right now with Baylor, right. with Aikens, uh, Christie, and and Brooks. Right. You'd still need two. You'd, You'd still, still need, need two. two. Yeah. Yeah. No. It, it will. It will get interesting. And what's what's funny is that's one of the reasons I think with Boyaki they basically said, you know, uh, you know, we're still thinking 2022 with him, but it, it's also becoming crystal clear that that's a position where they may need most right now, um, and. And, um, and, you know, I mean, I, I'm not – Sissoko may, by the time he's a sophomore, feel that. You know, Sissoko, Kithier, you know, and one of the two guys, uh, Marble or, or, or Bingham, might be fine a year from now, you know. But um, it, 
I could also see both those guys deciding, you know, they wanted they wanted something else. And I think, you know, the way you do that if you're Izzo, it's very to me it's it's easy. It's right now Sissoko is the first big off the bench often. And if Sissoko becomes the alternative to Kithier, clearly, where those two are playing the most minutes, and then you 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 signal to those other guys what what your what your plan is. And, and and I would be surprised if, if, if they didn't read that, you know. But you also have lawyer too, and I think that's yep. kind of the wild card. I mean, they, they discussed that that they, they talked about having discussions about him leaving uh, going into this off season, and now you bring in Aiken as a point guard. You you established Hogard as a potential um, guy to be your backup. What's the role for him? And and, and also for lawyer. I mean, think of it from this perspective. I mean, the COVID year is really for him, but a, but a godsend in, in this, that this is a free year, and now you're probably going to be able to transfer without penalty. So lawyer is going to be able to go play. Instead of a grad transfer, he's going to go be able to play two years somewhere else if he wanted to. Right. And so the penalty is is, is nothing. And, and, you know, he could go play in, in, in the MAC or Horizon League uh, or, or, or someplace else that, that wanted him. You he know, could become uh, Travis Bader. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a you know a different player, but absolutely a guy that I think you know, um, you know, and and there there are don't get me wrong, wherever he goes, uh, defensively he will not be an asset <laughs> at Division One. There are lots of quick, good guards at the mid major level who will uh, devour him, uh, and will or and, and and that's an appearance thing, um, you know. He, but that. Yeah, I, I think that that'll be an interesting thing with him. You're right. That's a really good, it's a really good question because he's a captain. He's a guy who's found a role, and I, and I do think that if if you told Foster Lawyer, you know, yeah, you you know, as a senior, you will also be in this sort of role where you're playing 15, 20 minutes. He might be inclined to stick it out, but if you don't know that's going to be there for you, um, you, you might decide that you want to go. And and also. You know, do you want to be a star one more time in your life or at least have more of a green light and more of a, you know, uh, a bigger role on a team? And, and you know, you can go um, you can go do that. All right. Well, let's move on to our very last segment here of the podcast, and that is predictions. Uh, we, get, we got two games coming up here on uh, Thursday at Iowa and then Sunday against Indiana. Well, let's start with Iowa. Graham, how do you how do you foresee this game turning out? Not awful, but not great. Um like I think I do not hate the matchup for MSU, and I, I think they'll be in the game uh, largely. You know, I think they're going to have problems with with guards, and it'll depend on how Iowa shoots. But Iowa doesn't defend at a great level. Um, you know, Scott, so I, I think it'll be a high-scoring game. I think uh, Iowa pulls away late, but so I, I would say something like uh, you know an eighty. You know, I would put it like 80, 84 to or eighty not a little higher than that, eighty-seven. Uh, you know, seventy-six sort of game for Iowa. Yeah, Iowa gives up a lot of points, um, but they also score a lot. Um, and I think that it's going to be interesting to see if Michigan State can get out and run because I think they were. I think of the games the last couple of years that they've played at, at Carver Hawkeye that they've been able to kind of go in there and and disrupt what Iowa does well and and frustrate them. So, but but I think that this Iowa team is just a, at a different level with the the veteran presence that they have and scoring presence. So I think they're going to. You know, I'd probably put it in maybe like a 16-point range for Iowa, um, you know, and a lot of points for Luca Garza, a lot of points for Luca Garza. 
All right, that's uh, two predictions for uh, two losses for the Spartans. And, Chris, will they rebound Sunday with a win against the Hoosiers? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that one of the things that will help is facing Garza and kind of is a different kind of big man with Trace Jackson Davis, but I think that, you know, this, that, that boom, boom, boom of Williams, Garza, and then Davis will have them a little better equipped uh, to, to prepare to stop him and try and make the, the guards that I think are pretty pretty mercurial for, for Indiana try and beat you. I think, you know, I, I could predict this maybe not necessarily a final score like the Rutgers, but I could see them defensively clamping down outside like they did. And I, I, I think Michigan State wins that one by about eight. You know, Indiana's given them fits in recent years, so there's yep. that. But um, there is that. Yep. I, don't, I think it's not them last year. Yeah, and I, but I don't love this Indiana team either. I don't love their – I mean, but, you know, I, yeah, that's the one of the challenges for Michigan State right now is there's nobody you look at in the Big Ten other than Nebraska and maybe Penn State. We'll see how they come out of all of this and say that's a game that I would feel comfortable betting them on a money line, right? <laughs> Can you, I mean, there's just yeah. nobody. And that's what – that's their problem right now in finding enough wins. And, and you're right, Chris, it is much about them and getting to a point that, that, that they – solve that um i i guess i would pick them to beat indiana just because i'm not a huge fan of this indiana team uh and it'll, it'll be home and 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 yeah i'll but i i, I wouldn't bet a nickel on it all right any final thoughts before we check out of here for this week oh i already checked out this week Are you kidding me <laughs> right. everybody be safe that's all <laughs> All right, thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and at LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.